Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans 12. Romans 12. What was God up to when he came up with the idea of the church? What in the world? He didn't need the church. And yet, in his plan, he chose to have something we call the church. It takes a lot of different forms. In our day and in recent days and since I've been ordained in 1980, the church has taken a lot of hits. It's had a lot of negative press. Some of it well-deserved. Pastors, in terms of their respect over the last number of decades, you know, if you went back 50, 60 years and you had a list of the most respected uh, uh, vocations, usually clergy would be in the top ten now, they're nowhere to be found on there. Now, that's okay. And as I say, some of that is for good reason. We have seen... So many from our midst fall badly into sin. And those kinds of things take their toll. And yet, we read in Acts that it was the church, the church, which Jesus shed his blood for. There is something important about it in God's mind. Maybe if we look at some of the illustrations that he uses in the New Testament, for instance, there are three major, there's lots of illustrations of the church, but there are three major ones that talk about the unity of the church. You have the vine and the branches. And as you see, the the branches are all united with the vine and That's a good thing. That's where the nourishment comes and so on, if you carry out that illustration. And yet you look at all the leaves on a vine, and they're all pretty similar. The illustration goes to a certain place. And then we go to another illustration of the church, and that is marriage itself. And I often share this when I'm doing a wedding, That what you are seeing up front is a picture of Christ in the church, the bride and groom. It's a beautiful picture. And we think of the oneness that is there for the bride and groom and the kind of union that they can have in spirit and in every way. And yet there's still a divide even among those who are the closest in marriage. So that takes us to the next step and the next illustration. And that's what I want to read to you in our text today. In Romans 12, we will begin with the third verse. It says, For 
By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we are many members. There it is. It's the beginning of the illustration. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith of service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us now in these moments to get just a glimpse of how you see the church, how beautiful it is to you, to the point that you saw fit to send your one and only son to die for the church? Will you teach us today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look at uh, some of these phrases that we have. You have the, the idea of one another. Now, in the original language, which would be in the Greek, it's used a number of times in the New Testament. Outside of the Gospels, it's used some 58 times, most of them by the Apostle Paul. We're not going to have 58 sermons this summer. Most of those can be categorized into a, a number of categories, and that's how we will group them this summer. And then you have this phrase, members of one another. The whole idea of, of members, again, in the original language, has to do with extremities. You know, arms, legs, hands, feet, those kinds of things. And yet today, we took in a bunch of members, didn't we? It's appropriate to, to call it that. And so he begins with this illustration, then he goes on and uses the body. Now, they didn't know all that we now know about the body back then. And yet, it's an illustration that anybody who has a body, and that's everybody, can understand to some degree, and especially in the sense that he uses it. He uses it elsewhere over in uh, Ephesians 4. I'll just read this to you, verse 15. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That's part of the illustration, Christ the head, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, is equipped when each part is working properly making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're going to get to those things later this summer. But all of those contribute to this illustration 
of the body. There's a unity with the body. You have him as the head, and uh, all of us get our soul, derive our life from the head, and there is a union there that he talks about. Now, I want us to break down that illustration the way Paul does when he talks about the body. And the first aspect that we see here in Romans 12 is that in the body there is a glorious diversity. A glorious diversity in the body of Christ. This is what he says in verse 4 and then on in verse 6. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Look at the, the whole idea. What he's talking about when he, when he emphasizes this diversity and the glory of the diversity is that, look, we're all made differently and we all have different things to bring to the body. Imagine for a moment if everyone in the church had the same gifts that I have. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, that would be glorious, but <laughs> let me tell you the problem with that. You'd have a bunch of people up here on the platform and nobody out there for one thing. Those teaching and not those learning. But then beyond that, let me be right up front with you. We would have more ideas than we could shake a stick at because I can come up with ideas. We just wouldn't have anyone to implement them. When it comes to money in the church, now look, I've, I want to be clear. We handle our finances at home, but money in the church is a whole different level. And we wouldn't be able to tell you how much money we have here if everyone had the same gifts I do. And when it came to understanding things like contracts that we have to sign and insurance and legal documents, all of our eyes would glaze over about the first three lines. You see what, what a problem that would be? And that's not to mention that the sanctuary would look nothing like this. I've always thought that Platt or Paisley uh, would look wonderful on these things. You, you see the problem? We all have strengths, but all of us, none of us have all of those things that are necessary. And all of those things that I've mentioned to you just now, we have those gifts in the body. And that's what makes the diversity glorious. Now, sometimes people are irritated by the, that diversity. Be honest about that. Let me, let me tell you how it sometimes shows itself. You have the person that's gifted in evangelism. You know, the person that every, everywhere they go, they're sharing Christ. And they look around and they say, you know, nobody else around here cares anything about the lost. Now, that's not true, but in their view, from their perspective, they really think that's the case. And then you have somebody else in 
the church that really has a heart for the poor and for mercy ministries, and they, they look around and say, what kind of church are we if we don't care about the poor? And then you have someone who has a, a burden for uh, global missions, another part of the world. And I say, why isn't everybody going on a mission trip this summer? Why aren't we giving more money to global missions? And then you have some that have a burden for our community, and that's their primary burden. And they say, why are we even going to New York City when we've got so many needs right here? You, you get the idea? Now, I've heard all of those statements during my ministry at one time or another. And you know what? Every one of those things is good. And I'm glad that we have all of those views in the body of Christ. They complement one another as long as we understand that it's that diversity that is glorious. And that's how he's made us. And that's how we ought to look at it. We need people at St. Andrew's interested in pushing all of those ministries for the edification of our church if we're really going to be doing what we ought to do as a church. Now, you have the glorious diversity, and then there's a, another side to that in terms of the body, and that is what I would call necessary interdependence. For those of you that tried to write words in the outline ahead of time. I thought I'd make up a word so there's no way you could figure it out ahead of time. It sounds like it ought to be a word if it's not one. Interdependence. He says in Romans 12, individually members one of another. Now, let me, let me flesh out that illustration as Paul does over in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, verse 14. And this is kind of a parallel passage, but he gives a bigger illustration. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then here, here's the picture. I want you to think, think about this. You know, there, there's humor in this if you figure it out. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Uh, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body. Members, remember, all the different parts. God's the one that arranged it. Uh, each of them, as he chose, if all were a single member, where would the body be? A number of years ago, I was playing basketball, and this is how I remember this story, okay? It might be a little foggy, but I, this is how I remember it. I was going up high for a rebound. <laughs> avoiding the rim all the way. And then I came down, as I remember, with the ball... And every part of my body said to my brain, it's okay, we're all okay. Except one part. It was my toe. 
Now, this was not my big toe. It was not my little toe. It was the one next to the little toe. I don't even know what you call that. It's not a ring toe. <laughs> but you know which one I'm saying. Now, to my knowledge, up until that point, my brain had never heard anything from that toe. <laughs> but when I came down, it screamed out, I'm hurt. <laughs> and in fact, when I took my sock off, it was dislocated. I couldn't walk. I had to go to the emergency room. They had to give me shots in my foot. They had to pull it out. and I, That's not how they do it, but they <laughs> manipulate it back into place. And then it was sore for a long time, and I was limping. You would have thought I had a broken ankle or a broken leg or something. And it was all because of that one little toe. That's, that's the picture he gives us here. That those parts that we don't, you know, we may not think are important, or if you may be that part that you don't think is important, you are important. And don't insult God by implying they're not important because he's the one that arranged them. What, what a great illustration he gives in using the body. Now, he, he talks about uh, us being members one of another. Uh, the New International Version says, uh, each member belongs to all the others. I like that. And that's the idea. There's a unity because of Christ. It, it's the whole idea of, of harmony. Our choir, you know, as they sang today, and I would put our choir up against you know, any choir around, bigger churches. And so I know they don't have like choir rumbles or anything like that, but I would do that. But as they were singing today, you know, sometimes the women sing. Sometimes the men sing. You know when I think it's the greatest? It's when they're all singing together. Sometimes they sing unison, all the same note. And a, a, a great deal of the time, most of the time probably, they sing harmony. And they're all singing different notes, but those notes fit together. And that's what makes a, the, the beautiful music that comes from the choir. Same with our orchestra. You could use the same illustration. That's the idea of the body of Christ, the interdependence that he gives to us. Now you may say, well, I, I still don't get where I fit in. Now obviously I can't stand here and, and, and tell you where all of you fit in. But I can tell you, you're part of this body you do fit in. And you're necessary. And we depend upon you. That leads us to the third part of Paul's illustration and that is a respectful care for all its parts. When he talks about the body, a respectful care for all its parts. Verse 3 in Romans 12, 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You see, it begins with how we think about each other. And then it, then it flows into how we treat one another. And that's what this summer will be about. What does the Bible say? If we really are members of one another and we are to build up one another, what does that mean in terms of how we treat one another? But for now, you know, if all of our new members had been here, and this was a bad week in terms of uh, all of them being able to be here, but we would have had like 25 people standing up here. And you know, how, how would it be if when they're greeted, some say, and I know you're not going to say this or, or, or think it, but what if somebody came through and said, you know, it's good that you're here. We'll give you a few years, let you earn your stripes around here, and then before long, uh, we might accept you into our body. Wouldn't that be awful? I mean, how contrary is this? You know what our attitude toward them should be? Because God is the one that arranges all of the parts. And he drew them to himself and then drew them to this church. Our attitude is, oh, we've needed you. That's what these new folks are. We've needed them. And God saw fit to bring them in. Now, why do we need the body of Christ? Well, as a pastor, it is, it's such a privilege to be with so many families. And you're almost like an honorary family member in some ways because you're there for the, the most wonderful times in families often. And then sometimes for the most difficult times. Paul says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Why do we need the body? Well, you know, I've, I've been with young couples when they have had their babies and I've visited them. And those are usually wonderful visits, my favorites in hospitals. And getting to hold that new baby. But I've also been there when a young mother was holding her stillborn baby. What would one do without the Lord and without the church? When there are deaths, it's difficult. You know what? Christians experience death and non-Christians experience death. And I've walked through it with both kinds of families but there is absolutely no comparison in terms of how one handles it when they know the Lord and when they've got the body of Christ surrounding them. It's still painful. But I've heard again and again people say, oh, I don't know how I could do this without the Lord or without the church. And that's the beauty of the church. How do you get to be a part of the body? Well, remember that phrase, the body, 
is short for the body of Christ. And, and being a, a, a member of a church, that's not enough. The church is wonderful. But it's about a relationship with the head of the body. And that is Jesus Christ. Everyone that stood before you today has professed that they are trusting in Christ alone, not their own works, but in Christ alone for their eternal life. So you know what? Even before they became members here, they were a part of the body of Christ as soon as they trusted in Christ for salvation. On this day in 1944, troops stormed Normandy. It's called D-Day. It was the beginning of the end of World War II. Some 160,000 landed there. Another almost 200,000 were in almost 5,000 ships out there supporting it. How could that many, how could that many cause such a great victory, even at a high cost, to take place? Well, I think there are many reasons, but I believe three of the reasons are because they had a common enemy. They knew who that enemy was. There was no doubt in any of their minds. They had a, a common resolve, a common goal to establish a, a beachhead and begin pushing back the enemy into defeat. And they were willing to go for that because of the importance of it. And they had a common love for our country. We in the body of Christ have a common enemy, one who hates us, and that's the evil one, Satan. We have a common goal, and that is we've been told that our goal is to make disciples, bringing people to Christ and helping them grow. What holds us together is a common love, certainly for one another, but even beyond that, a common love for the Lord Jesus Christ. May God enable us to function as a body and build up one another. Let's bow together.